Well, hello all. How are you doing? Good this Palm Sunday? And I woke up, I walked outside and was walking the dog and saw the snow begin to fall and it reminded me the last time I was up here it snowed on Sunday, so <laughs> just a strange coincidence. I was discussing before the service started, uh, Mike uh, Levine was reminding me that it's almost game time because I was sharing how nervous it is coming up before you. It's, it's a privilege for sure um, that, uh, you know, a, th- a thief, a, a liar, a filthy sinner could be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and be given the opportunity to stand up here and share God's word. It's a, a real blessing, but he reminded me of football. You know, it's kickoff time, and I remembered going through when I was in high school, getting ready for a football game, getting ready all week, and uh, I was on the kick return team, and sometimes I would be sitting there right, right at kickoff, and I'd be nervous, and I'd be, think, I'd be scared, and I'd be like, hope they don't kick the ball to me. And then they'd kick it off, and I would see it was coming, and I'd have to field that kick, and, and please don't fumble it, please don't fumble it, please don't fumble it. It's sort of uh, where I am today. Um, let's pray. <laughs> Father, you're above all. Lord, this is all about you and your glory. And Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that we can be together, that we can be here as your redeemed people, that we could look at your word and be reminded of your everlasting grace and that your mercy that endures forever. And be reminded of, Lord, when you were here physically, all that you uh, went through to prepare the hearts of your people for what would be about to take place and what would be yet future. Lord, we're so grateful that you speak in advance your word, that when it comes to pass that we can know, we can be assured that that word is coming straight from you. And we're so thankful that you love us as much as you do. And I just ask you, Lord, that if there's any, anything in me that I would speak that would not give you glory, Lord, that you would restrain it by the power of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a lot of you know that I used to work in retail for about 25 years. And uh, during this time of year, I'm reminded as the world is getting ready to celebrate Easter, how we'd have to go through and transition the store and get all the, you know, the ornaments up and all the things that would identify the season. And, of course, part of my responsibility was to lead that. And I would be getting the store ready for Christmas time and getting the store ready for Easter. But I, I can't help be reminded of how um, empty it felt as I was putting up ornaments of Easter, of bunnies and eggs and Santa Claus and all of this stuff that that was supposed to somehow identify what the holiday was supposed to be about. And yet I'm reminded of God's grace of how many years I went through my life 
you know, not identifying what these what what the true meaning of the holidays were. And you know, just as the scripture says, you know, one man esteems one day higher than the other. Some men esteem every day alike, but let every man be, you know, convinced in their own mind. But it just shows you the heart of man. You know, Jeremiah seventeen nine says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? And you say, well, there's really nothing wrong. I mean, it's just, it's just fun stuff, like Easter bunnies and things like that. And, but it just goes, I, I started to think about how far we've come, you know, even since the Garden of Eden. And how we're so, we can, the heart can just easily replace the truth with a lie. And it's very subtle. And Satan would have it to be that way. He would make it appear very innocent and very fun. It's just a kid thing. But yet, we grow up as adults and we could do the exact same thing. But it's not quite as obvious as when we were kids. You know, there's a lot of things going on this week if we go back um, during the time of the Passover. During the week um, of Palm Sunday and leading into Palm Sunday. There's a lot, I mean, the world was a lot like it is right now. There were people um, focused on the purification rituals that led up to the Passover. They were making themselves ready. Got to purify ourselves before the Passover. There were people honestly looking for the Messiah. There were some. But Jesus rode into Jerusalem at a time when many were not looking for him. Because they were, who knows, maybe they were caught up in their current world, the current world system under Roman rule. Maybe they had lost hope in their own personal lives. And they weren't getting fed by the religious people of their day. There was something clearly, clearly missing. But I I started to ask myself a couple questions. How how could they miss him? How? With all the things that he did leading up, how did they miss him? See, if you're not looking for him, you're not going to be ready when he comes. And that thought kept coming through my mind all week. I've titled the message, Behold Your King. Isn't it interesting how we can be very dismissive of Jesus in any given situation? You know, we could, we're getting ready for church. You know, we're wearing our Sunday best. You've got to get ready. We've got to put on our Sunday best. And we're trying to get the kids ready and, and everything like that. And, and we're focused so much sometimes on the outward appearance of things that we forget the heart. We forget what's going on in here. And I don't know, I thought it funny just thinking about situations that have happened you know, when I was growing up and how 
you know, growing up, I was raised Catholic. And, you know, on Palm Sunday, they would, you go to church, they'd be handing out the palm leaves, right? Which, of course, I mean, you got a palm leaf as a kid. That was great. Most of the time, we'd be slapping each other with it, you know. But wait a minute. Wait. I, first, I have to dip my hand in the holy water. To, I, I got to go through my purification ritual before I enter the church, before I get all, you know, somber and pious and, and before I get holy. And I remember, you know, my mom, not to put her on the spot, here we're on Facebook. Hope she's not listening. <laughs> but how many times, let's admit it, how many times, come on kids, get, let's get ready for church. Come on, you're stalling, hurry up. We've got to get some good clothes on and hurry up and get to church where we can learn about the grace of Jesus Christ. Come on, kids. What? Listen, it's the same thing that was happening back in that day, but to a greater extent. Now, John the Baptist, he came preparing the way for Jesus Christ. A voice in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Well, during the Passover that we're going to be talking about today, leading up to it, and they were going through purification rituals, getting ready for the Passover, earlier, John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the ritual, it wasn't a ritual. He was preparing the hearts of the people, but he was preparing their hearts with what? Repent! Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a heart issue. That's a sin issue. He, John was identifying that this lamb, the lamb of God, the perfect lamb without spot or blemish, was going to come and take away the sin of the world once and for all. And I find it interesting how we can focus so much on the outward appearance, the religiosity that we do, thinking that we're okay if we, if we just go through the motions and follow the ordinances, and, and yet our hearts aren't really close to Jesus. And, and God spoke something to me very clearly, and you're going to see it. So let's... Let's open up to John chapter 12. A few verses prior to the beginning of John chapter 12 in John 11.55, it says... And the Jews' Passover was near at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple. What think ye? That he will not come up to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. So, Again, these purification, uh, to purify themselves, they would have to go through these ceremonial purification to get 
prepared for the Passover. Now, the original intent of purification um, dealt with issues like touching a dead body, um, menstruation, bodily fluids, things of that nature where they would have to go through a purification process to be clean. Um, But by this time, many things had been added to that. Um, And so, you know, if you could think about where they were, you know, they're getting ready for the Passover and they're trying to purify themselves. The language just spoke really clear to me. Like, how often do you think that we try to purify ourselves before coming to Jesus? There's a world out there that thinks that that's what they have to do. That they have to be clean. They can't come to church as they are. I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm a mess. Look at my life. Look at my marriage. Look at my work situation. Look at my finances. Look at my credit history. And if I could just get those things right. If I, if I could just hammer one thing off at a time, then maybe, maybe I'll be good enough. And here, Jesus, He's the Passover. He's the, he's the, the fulfillment of these things. And I want to remind you that everything that Jesus did in the New Testament, every single thing He did, was a fulfillment of prophecy. Every single thing. This was no different. Now, Jesus observed many Passovers. I mean, from the time He came into the world as a babe in Bethlehem, He observed the Passover. But, through His public ministry, there was, I believe, four. In the time, in the three and a half year span, that uh, His public ministry began. The book of John covers three of those. And look what was happening during those times. I'll just remind you of them. There, uh, in one instance, he overtook the money changers' tables. Interesting. So, man, our heart can be deceitfully wicked to the point where we've, we've gotten so used to the, you know, the, going through the motions, the religious ceremonies, the ordinances, the holidays, the certain times of year, that... During the time that was pointing to the fulfillment of the Passover, Jesus himself, they were making merchandise of the people. I wonder how many people across the country today, I wonder how many speakers, pastors across the country today, Jesus would be overthrowing their, the money changers' tables. Wonder how many sit up on these pulpits across the country today and make merchandise of their people as if God is broke, taking advantage of their sheep, trying to tell them a lie, saying, You could have your best life now, and it's all about this world, making their people finance their Mercedes and their private jets while the people remain poor and unhealed. I imagine the Pharisees of Jesus' day were pretty wealthy. 
And I'm not going to just pick on the, the Pharisees, because let's face it, there's a lot of people during that time, whether you were a Pharisee, a chief priest, scribe, normal layman, there were many people that saw the works of Jesus, and there were many people that rejected Him. Not just the religious elite. And there were people that received Him as well. He fed the 5,000 during a Passover. Think about that. Bread. Passover, the beginning of Passover, begins the week of unleavened bread. And yet he fed the people bread. And we know what that symbolizes in himself. It's all pointing to him. Every single thing. And I wonder how many ministries today can read from the Bible, can read about the fact that the Jewish people were brought through the wilderness in Exodus, and God fed them in the wilderness with bread from heaven. And they can read it, and they can preach it, but when the rubber meets the road, you see, they don't actually have the faith to believe that God can provide the needs of the people. And so what do they do? They come up with some new entertainment scheme for their church to try to compel their people to give and to give and get involved. Because, you know, God is broke. You know, God, who created the heavens and earth, that didn't need man's help doing any of that, who brings wealth from heaven down to man, who gives us life, who's given us breath. You see, he, he needs us. He needs us to fund his ministry. Because he's so weak. Are you kidding me? And you see, the leaders in Jesus' time were making merchandise of their people. People looked up to him. Like I said the last time I was here, you didn't see people carrying big scrolls of Isaiah around their backs. They had, you know, they went to temple. They were, the word was spoken outwardly. And what a shame that someone who has the truth of God's word can use it and twist it and manipulate it to make merchandise of their people. But you see, Jesus wasn't like that at all. This specific leading up to Jesus' triumphal entry was a very specific promise from God. Very specific. Unlike any other Passover that Jesus went up to recognize. Because you remember, he, 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 on a personal basis, prior to that point, he would reveal himself as the Messiah. You remember the woman at the well. But, and there were other times um, where he told them, hey, don't, don't say this openly. You know. But by this time, this was, this was going to be the first open proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the King of Israel and the Savior of the world. And it was going to be openly proclaimed. 
And now, see, his time had come. He knew exactly what would happen. So let's just take a look at this very quickly. Prior to the triumph under, in verse 1, John chapter 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with odor of the ointment. I want you to take note of the heart of Mary here. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for the 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bare what was put therein. Isn't it funny how we can... Our heart can be so deceitful and wicked that you know we can justify it and we can rationalize it. Oh, this could have been done for the poor. Oh, bravo. Bravo. How many times do we do things outwardly to be seen of men? How many times do we... And there's nothing inherently wrong with doing good works. But if you're doing it to be seen and to get the glory, you're just, you're just robbing God of glory. And you're drawing attention to yourself. And I'm sure Judas probably thought within his heart at that time that, wow, what a, someone's got to speak for the poor. But he was a thief. He had the money. I'm sure there was probably money missing in the bag that he needed to replace by selling that costly perfume that Mary was anointing Jesus with. Jesus said, Leave her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you. But me you have not always. And much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. I mean, I, I hear all this talk about Jesus, and now I'm seeing this person who, who's dead, and now he's alive again. How many people are sitting in here today? Rhetorical question. That have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ and raised from death into life. And now they're, they're with Jesus, and they're abiding with Jesus, and they're having fellowship with Jesus, and they're going out into the world, and proclaiming His righteousness. And people are hearing the buzz. Who's this? I hear all this talk about Jesus. Oh, this per- Hey, let's... I want to see what this guy's all about. He's high on something. He used to be high on drugs, and now he's high on Jesus. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. After Jesus had raised them already. See, there's a world out there that wants to silence you too. Wants to cancel. See, they, they wanted to cancel Lazarus. See, we've got we to gotta, gotta hide the evidence. We don't want, this, we don't want you know, Jesus to be openly known. We gotta, now we've got to go after who he's risen from the dead. 
And it says, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Wow. See, they were worried about their power. They were worried about everybody going to Jesus and not themselves. Now, again, this day, leading into verse 12, this day is a specific day that was prophesied by the prophet Daniel. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but this is, this is amazing. The prophet Daniel predicted the exact day that this would take place. The exact day. It's one of the most amazing prophecies in all the Bible. In fact, let's turn there. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. Poor Matt. I had given him a whole list of scriptures that I would be using today. And then late last night, I said, "Um, I might have to divert. (laughs) And I'm diverting. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 It says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God, yet while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Notice that it was while Daniel was confessing his sin. See, That's the true way to prepare your heart to meet Jesus Christ. Not the purification rituals. Not all the stuff that would deal with the outward. The sacrifices of God are what? A contrite heart? Broken spirit? And just as John the Baptist was preparing for Jesus Christ... By saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here Daniel is so beloved by God while he's confessing his sin and the sin of his people. While he's interceding, the angel Gabriel, the same angel that told Mary that Jesus would be born in her womb. And he speaks something to him. And it says in verse 22, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Everlasting righteousness. So he's, he's bringing them from this point all the way to the end of human history. Now therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So that's 69 weeks. 69 sevens. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. 
And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So he gives him this prophecy here. And from the going forth to restore and build Jerusalem. Do you know they archaeologically found the documents that, that point to the exact day? That day was March 14th, 445 B.C. Archaeologically proven, indisputable. If you count the number of the, the years based on the Babylonian calendar, which Daniel was in captive to Babylon, and by days, it came out to be um, 177,000, no, 173,880 days. From that day, from March 14th, 445 B.C., which, by the way, Daniel had written this in 583 B.C. So he, spoke, he wrote this all in advance of all this happening. In, four, in March 14th, 445 B.C., add those days, and those days came out to a very specific date. April 6th, 32 A.D. The very day that if you go back up to John chapter 12, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The exact day. You can study it. Why is this so important? Why is Bible prophecy so important? A lot of people don't ever want to touch it. You know why? Because they don't want to be wrong. And I, and I respect the fact that you don't want to be wrong and you don't want to say the wrong thing and everything. But it's, it's right here. God spoke it and He wants us to know it. The whole Gospel itself. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is, is surrounded in prophecy. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God tabernacles with His people. You know there's a Jewish feast that they celebrate? It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. I suggest to you that I, I definitely know that December 25th isn't the day that Jesus was born. I would suggest that he was probably born in October during the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Because the prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And see, the, the whole construction of the tabernacle pointed to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And, and Daniel predicted the exact day that Jesus would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Why is this important? Zechariah 9.9 says what? Behold, your king cometh to you, lowly and meek, 
riding on a donkey, riding on the foal. So Daniel predicted the day. Zechariah predicted exactly how he would come to prominence and be heralded as the king of Israel, as the Messiah. And why? In fact, let's read a few verses, then I'll have you turn. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. They were saying, Hosanna! Save now! Blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on a donkey's colt. So, to fulfill Zechariah 9.9. And look what it says here. These things understood not that his disciples at first. They didn't understand it. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. See, isn't it funny how we always know after the fact, like, oh, wow. Wow. This is exactly, he did exactly what was prophesied. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him. In a different account, if you, if you turn to Luke, if you turn to Luke chapter 19, and this is really the meat of what I really want to get into today. In verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied wherein not, never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man asks you, why do you lose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as they had said unto him, or as he had said unto them. And as they were looking, or loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they sat Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way and when he was come near even into the descent of the mountain of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because this day was predicted to happen. When God says something, it's going to happen. You can bank on it. And my fear 
As I'm trying to prepare this week, and man, it was a tough week. Not feeling well. But one thing came out to me this week is, is this. My fear is that we are not spending time getting close to Jesus Christ just as they weren't spending time looking for Him back then and they missed His coming. Many did. And He's telling us this in advance that we don't make the same mistake. How do I know this? Because He says it. It's in His heart too. Listen. In verse 40 it says, And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Saying, If you had known, even you at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that your enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee around, Keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and your children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone left upon another, because you knew not the time of thy visitation. You mean, I have to read the Word? You mean, but I don't like to read. I mean... There, there's a consequence to, for me not reading His Word? Not spending time with Jesus and getting close to Him? You know, the one that took the time to hang on a cross and become our Passover? We don't have time? We don't have time for Him? And there's a consequence to not be not looking for him. Turn over to Matthew 23. And I can, I'm very good at making excuses. Well, I've got to, you know, the house needs cleaning and the yard and, you know. But make sure, I've got to make sure that, you know, I do this, this, and this because I don't want to appear, you know, that I'm unspiritual. Now, Jesus gives a, a scathing. I mean, he, 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 he goes right after the, the Pharisees here. But, like I said, I'm not trying to pick on them because guess what? Many of us can be the same exact way. Is them. In verse 24, he says, You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautifully outward, and are within full of dead man's bones, 
and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. See, if, if I was there during that time of Jesus, I would have known it was Him. I would have recognized it. I wouldn't have come against Him like they did. Be careful. Be careful that you know the Jesus of the Bible. And it's not some made-up Jesus in your head. That you can cherry-pick what He thinks is good and what is bad. No. He's Almighty God. And He doesn't change. And the things that grieve Him, grieve Him today. As much as it grieved Him back then. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill you up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents and generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of you shall kill and crucify And some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, look at all the stuff that was happening during this week. I mean, Jesus, he was being anointed by Mary. He was being betrayed by Judas. He was preparing the disciples for his immediate departure and preparing them for his coming again. The Passover the perfect Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world was passed over for Barabbas, a thief and a murderer. I think it's funny, and you don't have to turn here, but I, I quoted in John 18.29, it states, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled but they might eat the Passover. <laughs> the very ones taking them, bringing them to the cross. Well, we can't, well, we got to make sure that, you know, we're pure before we go through this outward ritual. And yet the Passover's right there. It's right there in front of them. Our Passover, Jesus Christ is our Passover. He's the fulfillment of it. And he's closer than ever. We have no excuse to not get close to Jesus and know him. He's made himself so readily available to us.
Psalm 118. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but this predicts this very day as well, the day that he would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. I'm going to start at 15. It says, The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Remember when I said before here a couple weeks ago, whenever you hear the, the arm of the Lord or the right hand of the Lord, it's, it's a messianic phrase. It's pointing to Jesus. And sure, He does valiantly. He did it for us. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. The gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Just as Jesus quoted in referring to himself. Look at This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. How many times have we quoted that and said, oh, this is the day of the Lord. Let us rejoice and be glad. Today is such a Gorgeous day. It's beautiful. Let us rejoice in it. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a specific day. The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and was declared the Messiah, the Savior of the world. How do I know this? Look what it says afterwards. Save now. That's Hosanna. I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That day brought a consequence. They should have been looking for it. I'm going to end in Matthew 24. Turn to Matthew 24, please. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. See, in Exodus chapter 12, it talked about the Passover. That they should take a lamb, a male lamb, of the first year, without spot or blemish. 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 Why can't I say that word? Blemish. I always had problems with S's and stuff in school. Um, and kill it before the congregation in the evening. Roast it with fire. They, the blood of the lamb, they would dip, the very first pastor, they would dip that they're in, into the basin filled with the blood. And remember, if you remember the account, that anyone, he said, take a lamb for the family, or if 
or for your neighbor, one lamb for a household, and take the blood of that lamb and sprinkle it on the doorpost, the top, and the sides. And that whoever was in that house covered by the blood of the lamb would be spared from death as the judgment of God went through the land. It's interesting that if you have this picture in your mind of them doing it, it's a lot of blood. And what would happen is that blood is dripping down. See, it would, it would actually drip on the threshold of the door. See, and, if, and if, you were, if you were in the house and you decided to go out, you'd effectively be trampling on the blood of the lamb. Something to think about. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. See, they missed their first coming, and he cried for Jerusalem. They, they, they missed it, and that there was a consequence. It was all predicted that very day. Some received it in fulfillment of Psalm 118. Hosanna, save us now. This is the king. But some missed it. Now, Jesus is going to return. We know this. Why? The Bible tells us. In fact, during the Passover, the last Passover that he would have, and he, would, he was eating the Last Supper with his disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine again with you until I drink it new with you into the kingdom of heaven. That's a missed point that a lot of us fail to see when we do communion. Is the instruction is, till he come. See, the whole point of doing it is that he's going to return. We have to keep that in mind. We have to live in accordance to that. that we're expecting his return. Verse 36, Jesus says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the other shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Who then is that faithful and wise servant? whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, then he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him 
and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These aren't my words. These are his. And I think that that's getting lost. At least I've seen it, even in the course of the past three or four years, that there's this wanting to dismiss certain parts of the Word of God. Because, you see, we, we, we want to feel comfortable. And we want to feel like everything's okay. But you've got to understand here that the re- there's a reason why they miss Jesus' coming. If we don't call something what it is in our own life, see, it's not going to have the same effect. If I, don't, if I start calling, you know, adultery, it, it's just an indiscretion. It's just an indiscretion. It was a lapse of judgment. <laughs> no, it's sinfulness. Why do we want to water down the truth? To appease our sinful conscience. Because if we can make it last, then I can feel good about myself. You know, it's all America is all about having good self-esteem. But there's a problem. Is it's a lie. See, it's the same lie from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. The same lie that keeps tempted over. See, focus on the outward, okay? Go through the rituals. Don't call sin, sin. Water it down like wine. Put mixed water in water. Just make it, you know, not quite as potent. If we don't recognize our sinfulness and total depravity without God, we will never humble ourselves and cry out to Jesus to save us. We will never recognize that he alone has won the victory over sin and death and that we could be found guilty of making the same mistake as the Pharisee, the chief priests, the scribes. Failing to recognize the one and only true Messiah, Jesus. I can't, I have to, I have to say this. Remember in Luke chapter 7 the Fer- when they were in the house of the Pharisee and the woman was there and the Pharisee said, you know what kind of woman this is? You know, she's an adulteress. She's immoral. She's touching you. And then Jesus spoke a parable to her. You don't have to turn there. I know I said I was going to end with the other one. But here's where I think this is where God wants our heart. Right here. Right in this chapter. This is where he wants our heart waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And he says, he, he, he spoke him a parable in Luke chapter. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and another 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And then Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave us most. And he said unto him, you have rightly judged. 
And as he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, You see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved thee. Go in peace. See, Jerusalem wasn't going to be able to say that after, they, after Jesus was crucified for our sins. Just to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel and what Jesus said would happen is the Roman armies came about 40 years later, would have been about, under Titus Vespasian, and they sacked Jerusalem and left not one stone upon another. But the heart of this woman here who recognized her depravity apart from Jesus Christ, she recognized how wretched she was. She didn't water it down. She didn't call it a mild indiscretion. She kissed his feet because she recognized that he was going to come to die for her and to raise her up again. And I wonder where our hearts are today as we're leaning on the breast of CNN and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and fighting battles that we shouldn't fight and using our time and energy for this course, this world, which is going to come to an end. And we're not looking for the kingdom of heaven. It's in Christ. You see, we're not, we're not preparing ourselves. The purifying, as John said, those that look for his coming purify themselves as he is pure. It's not a ceremonial purification. It's not an outward purification. It's not, I come to church and Bible study every week and I tithe and I, I do this and I do that. It's a recognition of my sinful nature and tendency that I need to abide in Jesus Christ and that he, so that He could clean me and sanctify me and set me apart and make me him making me holy in this wretched, sinful world. That's what it's about. I told Mike, I, he called me last night, I called him. I said, I had this picture in my mind of a glass of water and a drop of oil. You know what happens, right? They're, they don't mix. See, Jesus said we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. See, and he's promised the oil 
of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to prepare our hearts to meet him at his coming. Are you ready? Are you beholding your king? I know some theologians probably saying, he's the king of the, he's the king. He's not, he's the Lord of Lords and the king of kings. He's almighty God. I can't do him justice with my voice in 45, 50 minutes. He is who he is. I am that I am, God says. I just pray that you'd behold your king and remember those of you who have received Jesus Christ, those of you who've allowed him in to take rule of your life, that you remember that for the purpose of being thankful but being prepared to to meet him. As he says, no man knows the day or the hour. For those of you that might be backslidden, I hope these scriptures convict you. They did me. I've been I've looked at my whole life lately as I've gotten older and been more sick lately. I know I'm probably too young to be thinking about it, but I don't think it's you're ever too young to be thinking about the day that you're going to meet Jesus Christ. The day that you take your last breath on this earth. And uh I've just been looking back at thinking of how I do things in my life, what's important to me, what I put my time, what I put my effort in. And I've been guilty of the very same things that I've preached on today. And it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to a church that's asleep that we would press towards the mark that we would continue and be encouraged with that conviction of getting rid of some things in our life that, are, that come in between us and the Lord. That Not that there's anything that can separate us, but we, we can separate ourselves from him. And we can cover ourselves in our religious fig leaves and, and convince ourselves that we're, we're okay, that we, we can do this without him. And we can't. And for those that might not even know Jesus at all, or don't know the Jesus of the Bible, they've heard the name, but they don't know the person. I pray, Lord, that uh, Lord, you would be drawing them with cords of love to your son Jesus. I pray, Lord, that your word would take root in their heart, in all of our hearts, Lord, that would draw us closer to you daily, and that we would come to the recognition that you alone are our Savior, that we cannot save ourselves. And we th- we're so thankful, Lord, that you, you have gone through what you've gone through for us as the Passover. Lord, well, you were being betrayed and mocked and scourged. In the same week, you were washing the feet of your disciples. 
you were preparing them, loving them the whole way. How gracious are you, Lord Jesus. Lord, apart from your grace, none of us could stand. I'm so thankful for your grace, Lord. I'm so thankful that um, you've forgiven all of my sins, which are so, so many. The thoughts in my mind, whether I act upon them or not, are still, can still be sinful, Lord. And I pray that through the reading of your word that you'll cleanse my mind, that you cleanse our minds, Lord, that we wouldn't put things in front of our faces and we'd identify things that stumble us in this world, that stain our minds. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us conviction and give us the power that we don't have in our own beings. Lord, that, that you would fill the desires of our heart, that we would hunger and thirst for you like nothing else. That we would come to know you personally, Lord, I pray this day, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, that they would cry out to you and, and ask you and say, save me, Jesus, save me, I need you, I want you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.